This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 39. What is papal infallibility? This is certainly a controversial doctrine, not just among non-Christians or other Christian denominations or atheists, but even among Catholics. Catholics don't often understand this. But among all of these people, oftentimes the rejection of this doctrine is based on something more fundamental. And that is the rejection of the idea of an actual visible church instituted by Christ with a particular hierarchy. This idea is rejected and therefore even more so would be rejected the idea of some unerring teaching authority held by the Roman pontiff. So if that is the obstacle, we can consider it already having been dealt with in the episode on did Christ institute a church? So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it because it's really important for establishing this fact of papal infallibility. Along with that episode on whether or not Christ instituted a church, you should also go back and listen to the episode entitled, Was Peter Special?, which shows the tradition of the primacy of Peter and the special role that he held among the apostles and in the early church, and shows that Christ gave him a unique mandate, a unique authority among the apostles. Also at the outset, we need to distinguish between the doctrine of infallibility and the concept of impeccability. Impeccability refers to an individual's freedom from sin, that they cannot sin or they do not sin. This does not play a role at all in the doctrine of papal infallibility. For obvious reasons, everyone sins. That's a fundamental reality of human existence. Everyone sins, except of course the Blessed Mother who is preserved by a special grace, and we'll talk about that in another episode. So infallibility does not mean impeccability, does not mean pristine personal moral life. There's more than enough historical evidence to show that the Pope does not enjoy such a grace. It also does not mean infallibility in frivolous or personal matters, or even in weighty matters. A Pope can err often in his personal opinions, in his informal teaching, in his teachings and talks on secular matters, in his decisions, in his administrative decisions, in his decisions to appoint bishops, in his decisions to appoint other members to various ecclesiastical bodies. We see ample evidence of that, especially in our present day, that the Pope enjoys no special grace or freedom from error in those matters. Even when the Pope is giving a homily, he can error, he can put things in a way that is unfortunate or unhelpful. All of these things have nothing to do with the doctrine of infallibility. This doctrine regards something very precise. But before we get into that, we'll review some passages from Scripture which form the basis of this doctrine. It was defined as a dogma only in 1870 at the First Vatican Council, but that does not mean it is a new doctrine. So we'll look at the places in Scripture which are the most important foundations for this doctrine, and then also a little bit at the tradition of the Church, which shows that this was present well before the modern age. 
And one of the most important verses in scripture we can look at is when Christ said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, meaning that the church would exist and last intact throughout the ages until Christ came again. Now, what does it even mean for the church to continue in existence if it doesn't mean maintaining the purity of her doctrine? In the episode about whether or not Christ instituted a church, we noted that a visible church includes particular doctrine, preserving and maintaining those things that Christ revealed to us, the things that Christ taught us as necessary for salvation. All of those things need to be preserved intact if the church is to last throughout the ages. If we can really say that the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against it, that false doctrines would not find their way in and make up part of the teaching of the church. So this is a really important point. If we're going to say that Christ's promise has been fulfilled, then we have to say that there was something given to the church by which she might preserve that doctrine intact. Now, we can't say that that promise is given to all of the Christian faithful because, as we know, there is a lot of disagreement about particular points of doctrine among Christians. To say that this promise was made to the entire body of the faithful makes no sense because Left to our own devices, we split in many different ways on points of doctrine. So we have to say that Christ's church cannot teach falsehood officially. Otherwise, it would cease to be Christ's church, and we would say that his promise was not kept, which would be absurd to say about God. We also have him saying to the apostles that whoever hears you hears me. So in some general way, we can say that this promise of preserving the church from error on matters necessary to our salvation, matters of faith and morals, the entire teaching church cannot err on this point. In fact, this gift of this promise of infallibility applies to not just the Pope in his own person when teaching on matters of faith and morals and with his solemn authority. It also applies to the whole communion of bishops, who, when all of them throughout the world, in union with the successor of Peter, that is, in union with the Pope, teach in unison some matter of faith and morals, they also enjoy this gift of infallibility. So you can see how this isn't just some power made up by the Church. It's something that seems to be necessary, given Christ's promise to guide the Church into all truth, to prevent the gates of the netherworld from prevailing against the Church. It seems that such a gift has to be given in some way to the church, and we know that it's not given in general to the entire body of the Christian faithful. And it's also important to note that this promise of infallibility is, in a sense, a negative promise, meaning that it's simply a promise that the church cannot officially teach error. It does not mean that the Pope or even all the bishops enjoy some special inspiration, that God is telling them what to teach or even how to teach or how to word certain things. It simply means that the Holy Spirit is given to the church in a, in a way to prevent the faithful from being led into error by the teaching church. Neither can the Pope invent new doctrines because of this promise of infallibility or anything like that. The church's shepherds and her chief shepherd, the Pope, their main role is to preserve the deposit of the faith, the deposit of revelation that was given to us once and for all by Christ. It is not to invent, it is not to do anything other than protect and guard and teach faithfully those things that were revealed to us by Christ. It has nothing to do with superiority or the moral purity of the bishops or pope, because as we know, oftentimes you can find shepherds that are less than holy, less than good examples, sometimes even positively 
scandalous examples in, in their own personal behavior. This promise of infallibility is simply something given for the good of the church, the good of the faithful, not for the personal good of the pope or the bishops. It is a promise that is necessary. It's a grace that is necessary for Christ to fulfill his promise that the gates of the netherworld would not prevail against the church and fulfilling his promise that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide the church into all truth. And as St. Paul says in his first letter to Timothy, that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. If you can't look to the teaching church to know what Christ taught us, then what can you really look to? Remember that it is the teaching church that gave us scripture. This is something we went over in the episode, Where Did the Bible Come From? So if we can't rely on this promise of inerrancy in teaching those things that pertain to our salvation, then really we lose the thread that connects us to Christ and his apostles. So we know that Christ promised that his church would remain in the truth, and we can see that this promise does not entail personal moral purity on the part of the teaching shepherds. It does not entail infallibility or inerrancy in their personal opinions or even in their informal teaching or homilies or talks or whatever, certainly not in interviews on a plane. So what exactly does this promise cover? In what instances is the Pope free from error? Let's look at the definition from the First Vatican Council where we have this dogma articulated most clearly. It says, We teach and define as a divinely revealed dogma that when the Roman Pontiff speaks ex cathedra, that is, when in the exercise of his office as shepherd and teacher of all Christians, in virtue of his supreme apostolic authority, he defines a doctrine concerning faith or morals to be held by the whole church. He possesses by the divine assistance promised to him in Blessed Peter that infallibility which the divine Redeemer willed his church to enjoy in defining doctrine concerning faith or morals. Therefore, such definitions of the Roman Pontiff are of themselves and not by the consent of the church irreformable. So a couple details in that definition that it's when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, that's a term that means from the chair, which symbolizes his office as the supreme shepherd and teacher of all Christians. So, for example, if he's teaching something as Bishop of Rome to the people of the Diocese of Rome, this does not necessarily come into play. But it's when he acts in a sol by a solemn and clear act, he exercises his authority as the supreme shepherd and teacher of all Christians throughout the world, and not only that, but it's when he's defining a doctrine concerning faith or morals that must be held by the whole church. In those and only those instances does he have that divine assistance, which keeps him free from teaching error. Though, as we said, even though this was defined in 1870 at the First Vatican Council, it is based on verses in Scripture, the words of Christ. For example, when he tells Peter to feed his sheep, when he says to Peter that I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that you may strengthen your brothers, and, of course, when he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. If you go back and listen to my episode, Was Peter Special? You hear a lot of quotes from the fathers of the church, the early fathers of the church, recognizing the special authority of the Bishop of Rome as the chief shepherd of the church. St. Augustine, for example, said in one of his sermons, Rome has spoken, the case is concluded. Meaning, once Rome speaks on a particular topic, once the Roman see, the apostolic see, that is, the see of the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, the successor of Peter. Once they have spoken, it is done. But also in some of the other councils of the church and her history uh, reaffirmed this. For example, the Fourth Council of Constantinople, which is in the year 870, 
said, quote, The first condition of salvation is to maintain the rule of the true faith. And since that saying of our Lord Jesus Christ, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, cannot fail of its effect, the words spoken are confirmed by their consequences. For in the apostolic see, the Catholic religion has always been preserved unblemished, and sacred doctrine has been held in honor. Since it is our earnest desire to be in no way separated from this faith and doctrine, we hope that we may deserve to remain in that one communion with the apostolic see preaches, for in it is the whole and true strength of the Christian religion." End quote. So the reference to the apostolic see means the see of Rome, the seat of the bishop of Rome, and that it's always held, quote, the Catholic religion unblemished. So to summarize everything, this doctrine of infallibility follows from the promise of Christ himself that he would guide the church into all truth and would prevent it from being overcome by the gates of hell. He also spoke in a special way to Peter, that he would build his church upon him, that Peter was to strengthen the faith of his brothers. The special authority of Rome was recognized by the earliest church fathers and by subsequent councils throughout history, and was only really just articulated and defined in the clearest way in the First Vatican Council, even though it had been a part of the Christian faith from the very beginning. Also, this promise does not entail anything about the personal life or opinions of the Pope. It only covers those times which are relatively rare when the Pope speaks as universal pastor and teacher of the church, summoning his special authority and the special assistance of the Holy Spirit, which was promised to him by Christ, and when he teaches on a matter of faith and morals that is to be held by the whole church. This and only this is the doctrine of papal infallibility. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your friends and family. Also consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. I'd also very much appreciate if you gave a five-star rating and a good review of this podcast. God bless.